The Witching Hour with Aaron Mazza is a Mind Garden Media podcast in association with Screw You Todd Productions. My name is Aaron Mazza, and this is The Witching Hour. Hey everyone, it's Aaron. I really hope you enjoyed last week's episode with the wonderful and talented Laura Tippis Sackroff. And I already know you're going to love this week's episode with the equally amazing Thomas Prower. Author of such books as La Santa Muerte, Queer Magic, and Warrior Magic. On a side note, yours truly has begun a Patreon to help support the show and help me be able to create even more content. Patrons will receive rewards from shoutouts to monthly readings and even a monthly live stream book club. You can become a patron at patreon.com backslash Aaron Mazza. That's all one word. Patreon.com backslash Aaron Mazza. Without further ado, here's the show. Hey, Tomas, how are you? Hey, doing well, doing well. Awesome. Uh, This is my first time to get to talk to you, so I am very excited to have this opportunity. Oh, I love that. The first time. The implications of there being a second time. Oh, yeah. You you just, (laughs) I I have been known. If I like people enough, I will, what's the term I'm looking for? I will, not extort, I will trick you into coming on again to talk about other stuff. (laughs) Okay, okay. Tell us a bit about yourself for those who aren't too familiar with your work. Like, where did you come from? Tell us a bit bit about your upbringing and how did you end up on the path of magic and mysticism? My upbringing probably had a lot to do with it, but not in a very direct way. I grew up in Los Angeles, and although I pass real hard for someone who looks like they're straight out of Dublin, I'm half Latino, half Irish. Of course, my red hair, no one knows that. Unless, you know, you're true Latino and you know that somos de colores. But I grew up in Los Angeles with a super heavy Catholic family. So growing up, and I should probably clarify, Catholic, Mexican Catholic, Chicano Catholic. So it's a lot of magic and mysticism in there already with the different saints, which are really different. You could say gods with their own archetypes and their own spheres of dominion. If you lose something, you know, you lost your keys, you pray to St. Anthony to help find you. If it's something really difficult, then you go to St. Jude. You go to this person for that. If you're not sure that God's going to take your prayers, you pray to Mary to kind of intercede and convince God. So there's a lot of polytheistic ideas that were in my upbringing, which kind of lends hand in hand with magic and just being more, I guess, receptive to the idea that there is more than just one masculine God out there of the Judeo-Christian side. But yeah, so I went to Catholic school pretty much all my life until college, but I went to LA Catholic school in the 90s, meaning that we had openly gay monks teaching us our class of religion. We had to learn other world religions. We were taught that the gospels were not meant to be taken literally, and they were written for different specific audiences in mind, and that is why there are different versions of everything happening in the gospels. And what they said, remember what the nuns told us is, you know this isn't true because you would think that Jesus's last words, everyone would remember that, this super important man. But in each gospel, he says something completely different as his last dying words. You know it's not true, children, if they didn't oh get gosh. that right. <laughs> oh my gosh. So it was I, a very West Coast education, yeah. Which just made me more receptive. So when I started to learn different things, and I'm a big history buff, I got really into 
it's one thing learning from an armchair distance, and it's another thing trying to immerse yourself in the practice in a respectful way. And just got me interested in all these world cultures. Most of my books, if you if you've read them through the Llewellyn publishers, a lot of them are around the world books, taking some sort of subculture, whether it's queerness, whether it's death and morbid and afterlife beliefs, or even the most recent one, warfare, revolution, overcoming the impressed, how people around the world have done it throughout history. And what is the magic involved in that? What are the gods that are invoked? What does the spell work? So all that really just sums up my multicultural self, my multicultural upbringing, and my multicultural books. That's beautiful. I am a lot more familiar. The first book I picked up by you was your Santa Muerte book. And I was just, I was just absolutely infatuated with it. It was written from a very personable standpoint. And I just love the way that you portray her and you have different rituals in the book. But we'll talk about more about that later. So surely over your years of practicing and working with these various spirits, you've developed a definition of magic and how would you define magic according to Tomas? What has become your definition? It's probably very basic, if I'm being <laughs> honest. It's really just forcefully manipulating the natural forces of the universe of the world to make something come out in your favor. So that could be as grand as ceremonial magic and getting involved and the spirits and aligning the trajectory of the universal paths, all the way to something like, Mm, I have a hot date tonight. Let me put on some nice perfume or nice cologne, some makeup, some nice clothes in order to manipulate an outcome that they'll be into me. That's all magic to me. Very true. I'm half Italian and they always talk about, there's like, Italian folklore is just as chock full of magical things, I believe, like Spanish folklore or Latino folklore is. And it's kind of like, let's look at salt. Throwing salt over your left shoulder is very magic-oriented, but that's a superstition that's worked its way into, like, mainline society. Yes, yes. There's a, there's a lot of stuff out there. Like, even in Latin America, we have, um, like, you put the red bracelet on the baby's wrist to protect it while it's still young and other things. I do always say, though, I do always have this caveat, as a Latino, I'm going to say it. It's weird how in Latino society, Catholicism is kind of part and parcel of being Latino. To where if you're Latino, but you're not really Catholic, you're kind of considered not really Latino. It's bizarre. But I always say, look, Catholicism is the religion of the oppressors. If you can't speak Spanish, if you're not a Catholic and you're Latino, you're probably more Latino than naturally, like our roots and like the people in there. So don't sweat it. Very true. I want to talk more about your book. The first book I picked up, I'm going to circle back to your book about uh, Santa Muerte. You say that she is the saint of the marginalized, the saint of like addicts in the queer community. How would you say that she is the saint of all of these oppressed and marginalized people? What makes her a representation of us? I would probably say, I, I this is a big debate in the Santa Marta community because it's so unorganized. It's kind of, you know, wherever you first hear information that becomes a lot of people's personal dogma. But I'm of the thing that she's not a saint. Santa, santo in Spanish means holy. So just holy death is what I go for. But her dominion over all these outcasts and quote unquote bad people, it's because she's non-judgmental. That's the forefront of it all. Because, you know, when you deal with, the, especially in Catholic Mexico, if you deal with God, there's a lot of 
strings attached. If you're a prostitute and you want to have a successful night turning a lot of tricks, you're not going to pray to God to help you do that. If you're a drug dealer and you need to push some supply across international borders, you're not going to pray to God to that. If you're a righteous person in defiance of an oppressive regime, and you want that assassination bullet to go right through the cop's mind, right through the cop's heart, you're not going to pray to God to help you do that. So, oh, same thing. If you're queer, you're not going to pray to God to have a same-sex lover come in. So you kind of circumvent it. And in Santa Muerte, which is death, death doesn't judge. She'll take you whether you're rich, whether you're poor, if you're a good person, if you're a bad person, no matter what you do, it's the one equalizer that comes to us all evenly. So, hey, you want to do a spell that's going to murder someone? A-OK. No strings attached. You want to find love with whomever you want? A-OK. No strings attached. So a lot of, quote unquote, bad people go to her because they know that it's the one entity that's not going to come with strings and is going to be perfectly OK with it. And a lot of the malign come to her because there is no judgment mm. at all. And in her community, trying to emulate Santa Muerte and her teachings and her leadership, the community was ourselves. We do not judge. It doesn't matter if you're queer. It doesn't matter if you do illegal activity. We have to have that idea of non-judgment, just like La Santa Muerte. So the community is super accepting. Santa Muerte will help you do whatever magic you want. And that attracts a lot of people who are on the outskirts of society, who can't go to God or their own personal deities have preferences and strings. So it almost seems like she is, like you said, no strings attached. Like she's almost like a divine catch-all, if you will. And it's just hard for me to like to wrap my mind around like, because like you, I came up in a very, very evangelical slash Catholic household. And it's hard for me to believe like no strings attached. I'm sure it boggles a lot of people's minds. But I also like what you said about death being the great equalizer and death not judging because at the end of everything, all of us die. It's just hard for me to wrap my mind around a spirit or a deity not judging you or saying, I'll do this for you if you give me that. Because most people would think instead of going to God, you would go to the devil, but even you have to make a deal with the devil. Right. I would say with La Santa Muerte, a lot of people do make deals with her because humans haven't you know, in that lawful, good, chaotic, evil kind of grid we have going on memes nowadays, mm-hmm. Santa is probably true neutral, right in the center. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. But humans, we have a hard time relating to true neutrality. Like, what is it? We're all guided by our own preferences, our own baggage from the past, our own morals and ethics kind of guide us. So a lot of Santa Muerte devotees usually have a lot of deals or bargains because it's just the way we can understand and react so if you want something usually say to la santa muerte if of course conditions if you do this i will do this for you or even just in praise and honor the way i try to explain it best is la santa muerte is kind of like a friend it's not a business partnership but you want to help your friend out because you want to help your friend out mm-hmm. and so people want to give la santa muerte things in return for doing good things because you're thankful. It's more an object of gratitude. People get her tattoos. People donate to charities in her name just because you're friends and you're showing your thanks the way you can. But if you promise something and you don't keep up your end of that, you've created your own kind of contract that you can't get out of, which it gets very serious, which is, I always say, 
it's very dangerous working with La Santa Muerte because you need a lot of self-control. When you are dealing with something that is truly neutral, there's no safety guards. Unanswered prayers are sometimes the best prayers because maybe it would have bit you in the butt. Maybe that relationship you wanted would have been abusive. Maybe getting all the green lights would have led to a traffic accident that will kill you. Santa Muerte doesn't care. You want that? You got it. You want that? You got it. So it's a weird situation because the most desperate people usually come to her because they have no other recourse. But in that desperation, they don't have the self-discipline. And so a lot of things go wrong. And even in my, um, in my book, Morbid Magic, I preface working with death deities. Of one of my friends who started getting to Santa Muerte got everything they wanted because there's no safety guards, realizing everything they wanted. And at the end of the day, they committed suicide because, oh. they, yeah, they got everything they wanted and there's no safety guards that would have been, mm, maybe you shouldn't have this. Maybe it would be better if not. So a word to the wise, if you want something worth it, go in slow, be friends and master thyself. I could definitely see that because I had honestly had not thought about that aspect that it's sort of just like, like you said, if you want green lights all the way to work, yeah, yeah, it'll lead you to accidents going to kill you. But you know what? You got those green lights. It really makes you think about why our spirits and why our gods, like you said, are just kind of like, e, I don't think you need that because I'm looking out for your well-being. But I could definitely see the advantages of going to like Santa Muerte. If you needed like rent, you're like, hey, I need rent money. She'll help you get the rent money. <laughs> Yes, yes. I, I, you know, I'm a long time Santa Muerte devotee. I hype her up. I wrote the book on her. I want mass conversions. Everyone take a chance on her and she's not evil. But I do say that personally, I usually only go to La Santa Muerte if I have some big things or some dire things. Because I know myself and maybe I'm having blinders on my eyes if I want these inconsequential things that would be nice. Maybe I shouldn't have them for some unknown reason unknown to me. Because, you know, it's one of those things where I know better than the universe. I know better. I'm going to move the sun and the earth to make this thing happen. When maybe moving the sun, the sun and the earth are right where they need to be in orbit right now. It's, it's perfect the way it's working out. I go to her for big stuff. The smaller stuff, I do other deities, other practices. But I know that if I'm in a bind, I know she's got my back. Awesome. I also really like another book you wrote called Queer Magic, and it just covers like the history of queer spirituality around the world. What inspired you to write this book about queer magic? Because most people would look at it and think, oh, wow, there's all kinds of queer in like gay magical spells in here. But then they open it up and it's lots of historical stuff, like from various regions of the world. Yeah, it's, it's a mix of multiple things. One, my love of history, because to me, to understand because a lot of people want to learn quick magic spells, but you have to understand just like anything in you know all literature, everything has to be understood in the time in which it was created. So when you understand what these people were going through, what was the queerness like in that, you truly understand the depths of the magic that is involved in that. You understand the background, you understand where it's coming from. So I always try to give a cultural input as to why these things existed to give more, one, I think it's cool and I think it's fun, but two, to give more oomph to that magic because you know everything involved rather than just the recipe. It's like, this is how people have been making this food for years. And this is how it has evolved. And this with the original ingredients. But I got the inspiration because one, it's one of the books I've always wanted to write. And Santa Muerte is a big hit to this day. It's still the biggest seller. So props to her. 
it was my first book with Llewellyn out of the gate. So when you come out that hard, you get a little bit more leeway to not be pigeonholed. It's like, okay, you did it once, do something else. You know, you can do something, we trust you. And I was very new to the pagan community. I, although I wasn't really involved in it, I was very solitary. I was more La Santa Muerte focused. So when I really got into the conventions and the tours of La Santa Muerte, you know, what was it, Pantheacon back in the days and others, I was like, my God, why is the, the pagan community is so queer? I had no idea, no idea. And I was like, why are there not more queer focused books? Gay Witchcraft by Christopher Penzak is amazing. One of my first magic books I ever read. But where's the queerness? Not just gay men. Where are the trans people? Where are the multiple uncomprehensive genders that are out there? What is the more magic? And I was like, there is none of that. So I filled a space at the time that didn't exist. I do say now that Hopefully I can redo that book because our language is changing all the time. And sometimes when I look back, you know, I think what was acceptable then, I'm like, ooh, I should, I would use a different word <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's, it's all changing. And, you know, it was written way back when. So I'm just like, it itself is a product of its time. <laughs> well, it's definitely one of the books, especially as someone who identifies as non-binary, and a non-binary and by gender, this is definitely a book that is near and dear to my heart because it makes me feel like sort of I was, I feel allowed me to, to use the words uh, like I'm, I'm naturally magic <laughs> because as, as like a queer person, queer people like in the past and in, in the pre-Christian world were considered for the most part to be holy and connected to the divine in some way. Yeah, it's weird because all, all of history is really written from a very cis point of view. So when you have this straight cisgender cultures way back when all over the world, and they see these people that's like, okay, that's not a man. That's not a woman. All we kind of know is men and women. This person is different. And usually when you're different back in the day, it's, it was some sort of blessing. It was usually something very good. So it was like, these people can move between these things. Maybe that means they can move between the worlds. Maybe they have magical knowledge we don't. They're just naturally different, and therefore they are naturally magical, which was amazing. So just being different in the eyes of cis society, cis heteronormative society made non-binary different people magical in them just by existing. Very true. And I feel like your book was sort of like the beginning of a big queer movement when queer people are just starting to throw out all kinds of books. Cause you have books like a uh, queer Kabbalah, you have queering your craft and, but then there's also authors kind of like storm fairy wolf who just who have been mentioning like queerness and stuff like that in their books. Like his latest book, the Satyr's kiss just came out and it has some queer magic in it as well. Yes. Probably two things. One it's probably just the cultural zeitgeist and where it is and things moving and happening. That's just in the ether. Two, business-wise, because publishing is a business. Very um, true. Nothing succeeds like success. So mm -hmm. when you have something that people like, like Queer Magic, you know, oh my God, people are really buying this. It's like all the other publishing houses. Well, we need one too. We need a version <laughs> of that. Oh my God, it's hot. Let's get more books out like this right now while people are going. Like any Hollywood movie, when there's a blockbuster hit, all the studios kind of need their own version of it. And then you kind of only see that for a little bit. So, but it's not bad because no matter what book you read, even if a lot of the information is the same, you know, especially with 101 magic books, 
different people resonate with different authors, different ways of speaking, different ways of explaining things. So it's good that there's so many different people writing about it because someone might not resonate with the way that I write it, but they resonate a lot more with Storm Fairy Wolves or the Queer Kabbalah or others or who knows what's out there. So it allows for more people to resonate rather than just you have to resonate with this one. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, but if, if anything, any book that comes out, you find one, it's promoting the conversation. It's promoting the conversation of queerness in the spiritual community. Yes, and it's good reputation because, again, nothing succeeds like success. So if, you know, this niche market of pagan queer books, if those start really selling well and taking on spaces on Barnes & Noble shelves and you, all the big booksellers are realizing, oh, wait, this is selling – it allows them to be more open to queerness in other genres and other things. So that it's not bad. As long as people are buying, it's good representation all the way around. Very true. And for I'm looking here on my notes, you just came out with a book called Warrior Magic. And it seems to be very activist based. And it just talks about like a, intertwining your magic with like social justice, various social justice work. So tell us a little bit more about that. This is probably the most <laughs> timely book I have ever released because I started working on this back in 2019 before we hit the darkest timeline and 2020 started happening and this <laughs> book became super relevant. But it was really out of the 2016 election and living under that for three years because Trump took office and all houses of government were run by conservatives. Mm -hmm. And while, and that's tough, but what really, really upset me was that Nothing was happening. Yeah, people were protesting peacefully, but peaceful protest does nothing. It absolutely does not achieve anything. It does show solidarity with those who are suffering, but peaceful protest does nothing. Yeah, there are a lot of people wearing pink hats and be like, we're angry. We're going to show you that we're angry. People marching with signs all over in every big city. We're angry. What the hell did that end up doing? Nothing but show we, yeah. Oh, we're going to show angry faces. And all these people had such severe privilege, and I'm watching this happen like, oh, oh, we'll show you next election cycle, vote blue in 2020. That's all great, but there are people who cannot survive to 2020. There are people whose necks are being broken by the boot of oppression right now who cannot wait, and you have the audacity to just make a sad, angry face and not do anything extreme privilege that's not changing anything you see for those people oh oh my god and you know all them a lot of the magic books i seen were like this is how you do the calming spell well let's pray for elected leaders next time i'm like no where's the thing that's going to help the soup can go through the tiffany's window where is the one that's going to get the billy club on the cop's head where is that magic why are people not using their anger for righteous justice? Where is the military? Where is the physical violence? Where is the economic retribution? And I didn't see that. So this book was made for that, to show how violent economic revolutions were done with the gods, how people would, did not try to pacify their own anger, but partnered with the divine to make it happen, both from in sub-Saharan Africa, overthrowing colonialism, the U.S. Civil War, plantations with enslaved people. How did they overthrow people? What is the magic? What are the Santeria deities? How did Genghis Khan come to power? All these things around the world to show us, you know what? We need to start acting. 
And that's what happened with, and then 2020 came on and, <laughs> oh God. and it was actually, the book was actually, fun fact, the book was actually so intense that after the January 6th, quote unquote, insurrection of stupid people. Oh, you mean the they, treason? Oh, yes, yes, yes. There are many words for that. After that happened, I had to tone it down. it was so intense so intense so it's this version is a little toned down it's still great i still fully love it and it's probably the most activist book out there to get stuff done Mm -hmm. but with all that extreme stuff not first of all i don't think that's extreme but all of this aggressiveness i'm saying it takes a whole team not everyone can be a warrior if you've played dungeons and dragons if you've played any kind of ttrpg game or community video games Not everyone can be the warrior. You need the healing clerics. You need the bards to boost people up and tell the stories. You need all these different people for the war effort. So although this book is very pointed (laughs) and no holds barred, we're going to get this done. It does show how you can be a supporter in the cause without having the soup cans going through Tiffany's windows or having to, you know, do what needs to be done. Without throwing tear gas canisters back at police officers and stuff like that. You know, if you're not with us, you're against us. Very true. But it kind of makes me think of uh, David Salisbury's book, Witchcraft Activism. I think those two in like a gift pack would be amazing. Your warrior magic and witchcraft activism. I love that. If we were two separate publishing houses, I think it would be done. (laughs) But I do say this. I do say this. Again, nothing succeeds like success. Because of his book, because of the, what was it, Michael Hughes' witchcraft book and his binding Trump spells, it allows people like me to get something a little bit more aggressive out there. So we're all stand on the shoulders of others. So because of that, I'm allowed to do this. Exactly. And I am eager to get my hands on a hard copy of it. (laughs) So, which leads me to my next question, because I asked this to David Salisbury and I interviewed him. Do magic and activism inherently go hand in hand to you? Or can the two play, can the two be played oppositely? I would say everything in life is involved in activism, whether it's not doing anything, which is a form of activism that's working against the people. No matter what you do, it's activism. It doesn't have to be at the ballot. You vote with your wallet every day from whomever you decide to buy. Your thoughts and what you do and whom you help and what you don't do all lead to whether helping the people or helping the oppressed. So magic is no different. Yes, less different because it's magic is such a focus thing. When you're focusing your will to make something happen, there's no passive reaction to that. There's no oops. No, you focused your mind. What are you focusing it upon? And does that help people? Is it hurting people indirectly? So I would say, yes, it's very much entwined whether you know it or not. And it's kind of like, we always do everything with an intention. That's one of the first things I talk about whenever people ask me metaphysical questions or whenever I teach, do a lecture over like Magic 101. I think the most powerful thing you can have is a crystal clear intention. And activism is basically, in my opinion, is just bringing your intention to the forefront, but minus like the robes and the tools and stuff of that nature. Oh, yes. All that is definitely extra. And you have to know what you're doing beforehand to get the greatest result, like a hose of water. But if you turn it and you get everything aligned, that water hits harder. Exactly. Just sort of like uh, it just I just had this thought. It's like almost like your activism and your protests and doing stuff like that is kind of like 
a conscious form of magic or an unconscious ritual that you're doing to produce change in a community because it's just a form of spell work that's not focused on yourself it's a form of spell work that's focused on the community as a whole because because you're trying to produce a change in the community yes and i think it takes because of that i think it takes some extra i would say self-discipline to go back to the santa muerte teaching because a lot of times people do magic of what they think the world needs with a lot of when 2020 happened and a lot of the Black Lives Matter protests are rightfully happening and things were going down. You know, you see people doing, oh, no, let's do calming spells. Oh, no, they'll make us look bad. Oh, no, they need to calm down. So your spells of trying to create peace in the city is not helping the people who need help. Those people are angry for a reason, rightfully so. Where is the magic to elevate their voice and make sure that they're getting more stuff done rather than, oh, this is making me uncomfortable personally. Let's have some peace and bring back things. No. no. So know when you're doing who you need to help and why, mm-hmm. not just what makes you feel good. Because it's like if somebody fighting for their rights makes you uncomfortable, maybe it's time for a little bit of self-reflection. What projects do you have cooking up what is Tomas up to? I'm always cooking up something, but I will tell you this, and it's not the fun answer, but I'm not going to lie. And it is that I actually don't like talking about my next projects. I work very much under the pressure cooker system, mm-hmm. wherein the more I talk about it, I feel like I'm being productive on it when I, <laughs> I'm just talking <laughs> about it. If I don't talk about it, I keep it internalized. It's like I can only get it out through writing which keeps me on track with the deadline because it forces me to write. But I would say stay tuned and you'll see. Well, for people to stay tuned, tell everyone where they can find you, where they can keep up with your adventures. Social media is probably the best way. Twitter's the best way. If not, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. I have a website. But really, if you search Tomas Prower, T-O-M-A-S-P-R-O-W-E-R, you can probably find me. And then you can stay up to date with all the happenings, and then some. Awesome. Well, I really enjoyed visiting with you today, Tomas. His newest book is called Warrior Magic. I encourage everyone who's listening to go out and pick up a copy and add it to your library. And don't just do that, but also apply it to your life. Tomas, again, it was great visiting with you, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. I appreciate that. 